Hello, you're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Has a patient or a patient's family ever turned to you for support in dealing with eczema? Well, today we will turn to some of the nation's leading pediatric dermatology specialists for help in scratching the surface of this physically demanding and psychologically stressful skin condition. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Andrew Krakowski, your host of Scratching the Surface of Eczema. With me today are Drs. Lawrence Eichenfield and Magdalene Dohill. Lawrence Eichenfield is a full professor of pediatrics and medicine dermatology at University of California, San Diego, and chief of pediatric and adolescent dermatology at Rady Children's Hospital, San Diego. He's widely regarded as one of the premier atopic dermatitis specialists in the country. Magdalene Dohill is an assistant clinical professor of pediatrics and medicine dermatology at the University of California, San Diego. She is also the director of the Eczema Center at Rady Children's Hospital, San Diego, the first of its kind in the country, which opened in April of 2007 to wide acclaim. Today, we're discussing eczema, and more specifically, atopic dermatitis as it relates to a pediatric population. Welcome, Dr. Eichenfield and Dr. Dohill. Thank you for joining us today. Thank, Thank you. you for inviting us. Let's get right to it. I heard a lot about atopic dermatitis and what the condition is and how it's a setup for infection. How important are anti-infectives in the role of managing atopic dermatitis? I think they have a very important role that they play because... If you have a patient with flare-up of the dermatitis, you will not gain much ground in treatment unless you treat the infection first. And as we've previously discussed in other sections, that patients with atopic dermatitis are very prone to bacterial and also viral superinfection. This is really the key if you see a patient with an exacerbation of the dermatitis to make sure you're not missing an infection. What sort of anti-infectives are we talking about? What are, what are we commonly using in this population? Usually we will uh, use some oral antibiotics for a standard 7 to 10 day course. If the patient presents with a condition that can be quite serious in patients with atopic dermatitis like eczema hepaticum, uh, you would need an antiviral oral antiviral treatment. Now, and there are some eczema patients who have resistant bacteria. They may have methicillin-resistant staph. And in those patients, obviously, you'll need to use a different set of antibiotics to help get them under control. So culturing is important before prescribing? I'd say you have a choice. In high MRSA colonized areas, you may culture first. Most people around the country generally will treat first. And if there's a failure, go ahead and culture, unless it's a serious or life-threatening infection. Is MRSA a problem in San Diego? To a degree. Most of our atopic dermatitis patients are not MRSA colonized. It's a very low percentage, but perhaps it's because we're aggressive with anti-inflammatory therapy. So we only use our antibiotics therapy as a second line agent if we can't get it under control. What role do antihistamines like hydroxyzine or diphenhydramine play in the role of atopic dermatitis management? Is it a crutch or is this a tool? I'd say that this is a rather controversial uh, area um, because antihistamines have standardly been used as part of uh, care in atopic dermatitis. But if you look at the scientific evidence basis of their utility, eh, there's not much there. um, uh, But the reason why I think most people continue to use them in in care is that the sedating antihistamines sedate. So (laughs) if you have a child who's up at night scratching, there can be some utility in using the standard sedating antihistamine but very much as an adjuvant. Unless you get the skin inflammation under control, which will control the itching, 
it's going to be hard to snow the child enough with antihistamines that they'll sleep through the night. But if you have a child who's getting good, good uh, topical therapy, it can be a helpful adjuvant. There's also a place for antihistamines in patients who have other atopic conditions, that overlap of patients who have, say, allergic rhinoconjunctivitis. They have these very itchy eyes with eye eczema. Those patients are, uh, can be appropriately on a non-sedating antihistamine as well. And let's be clear, we're, we're not talking about snowing the kids so that the parents can sleep through the night in peace, but although that might be a part of it, but we're talking about actually limiting children from scratching while they're sleeping. Is, yeah. is that part yeah. of it? We very much use sleep disturbance as a measure of ineffective therapy and sleeping through the night for the child, which can correlate with sleeping through the night for the parents as well as a part of our, our measures of successful therapy. Yeah, we find that this itch-scratch cycle and the importance of a night's sleep really highlights why this is not just a patient's conditions, but condition that affects the whole family. So at times, as an adjuvant, antihistamines really give that extra edge in the treatment plan. How about avoiding some of these allergens that we've talked about in the past? Is that helpful? It definitely is helpful. And we usually spend some time during the consultation with parents to go and discuss how can they at least diminish the allergen burden. And if not in the entire home, how can they focus on the immediate sleeping area? And helpful hints are probably to avoid feather bedding, to maybe decrease the number of plush toys around the bed, to uh, make sure that the carpeting is maybe low pile or is vacuumed frequently, and to limit the exposure to animal dander by keeping pets out of the bedroom. Yeah, at least for those patients who appear to have those particular triggers. Most commonly, though, the uh, avoidance of, for instance, dust mites is pretty much impossible. Mm. It's very hard to do that. So it's only in a subset of patients who are who are really have difficult eczema that we try to stress the allergenicity. Irritants, on the other hand, are very appropriate as part of standard care of atopic dermatitis. And you certainly want to stay away from harsh detergents, very drying soaps, over bathing all of which can irritate and inflame the skin. So pretend I'm an atopic dermatitis patient. I'm hydrating like you've instructed me to. I'm I'm using the proper moisturizers. I've, I'm I'm using topical corticosteroids. I've tried second-line calcineurin inhibitors. I've been treating my uh, superficial infections correctly. I'm even using antihistamines to help me get through the night, but yet I'm just not getting better. Is that it for me? Is there anything left for me to try? Well, number one, I'd say that we like comprehensive patient care assessments. So we would actually go through the history of how much you were using recently and the combination together of what you were using to try to induce your eczema to come under control. But there are a subset of patients who clearly need more than just standard topical therapy. And we sort of have a list of things we go beyond that. Phototherapy uh, with UVB, especially narrowband UVB, uh, can be uh, highly effective to get eczema under control. And then there's some very potent systemic medications that can be used, such as cyclosporin, um, azathioprine, uh, potentially uh, methotrexate or some of the biologic agents that can be used for very severe patients. It's just generally done in the hands of, uh, of a dermatologist and other atopic uh, uh, dermatitis uh, experts because there's a clear uh, set of risks that come along with these medicines as well as the benefits. I think this is a great time to discuss the importance of education. I'm hearing a lot about it 
from the two of you. Is it really the mainstay? Well, you need to have good education about the disease to manage the disease. And we've known this for years, and, and it's become increasingly hard in medicine as we have pressures to have less time in the room with the patient and the family to adequately train them to respond to this chronic remitting disease. So we knew this, and then actually we, we were forced to deal with it because there have been some excellent studies around the world that have tested education in atopic dermatitis. In America, or these studies were? Probably the most prominent study was done in, uh, in Germany. It was published in the British Medical Journal. But essentially, this was a large randomized controlled trial where they took a large several hundred children and either put them in the aggressive education group or the standard education group. And then when they were brought back in, people measured how well they were doing as well as measured their quality of life. And there were objective observers who didn't know which group they had been assigned to. And punchline was pretty clear. Uh, those patients with intensive education did much better in their quality of life and in terms of how much eczema they had at the time they were evaluated. So that created a challenge for us and creates a challenge around the country, I think, that we really have to figure what's the best way to educate patients uh, with this disease. And what's your standard dermatology uh, office visit time that you're allowed? Well, I mean, a new patient, it can be, you know, 15 minutes to 20 minutes, even with accessory staff helping to uh, mm -hmm. reinforce the information. You know, you may get to, to half an hour, but it's pretty hard to do that in a, in a busy office setting. And so we've sort of tried to change our methodology of delivering the education. I think what's um, become more and more apparent is that you are dealing with a condition that has been acknowledged that it has an Im immense impact on the quality of life of the patient and the families. So similar to other conditions that can be likened in that impact, like for example, diabetes, it is just a logic consequence that you need to implement better education, that you need to be able to give parents feedback as the disease changes. And this cannot be achieved in just an office visit and just focusing on the particular problem on that day. Uh, what also has become clear, having done some of these eczema sessions over the past few months, is that parents really gain in their ability and in how comfortable they feel with following the instructions that you give in the office if they have that extra piece of background information that we uh, deliver during these eczema center sessions. So we've set up an eczema center uh, at Rady Children's Hospital, which I think is a, a model for a way to approach this. Uh, if you need intensive education, you need time to do intensive education, you need expert educators, and you need a set up to do that. So now while we may still do our 15-minute or half hour in the office for a new patient doing the, their comprehensive clinical care management, part of the eczema center is intensive education. And we may have, you know, we have evening educational sessions or other intensive educational uh, sessions, which can go an hour, hour and a half as a way to educate families about the disease process, about what the expectations are for what happens over time, expectations for how an intervention can help the family, more uh, discussions about the risks and benefits of the medications and the appropriate ways to use the medication. And we've integrated that really into an eczema school concept that has been tremendously helpful for the families. When did you launch this eczema center? We launched it actually at our national uh, meeting of uh, pediatric dermatology in April and the feedback has just been tremendous. 
And if you think about it, um, families have great access to information. The internet is all about, but then they are left with reading information that they need to process. They need to be able to ask the questions. And this is what the Eximus Center really offers. It gives you quite a, a research background on the disease, which parents appreciate, and it gives them a forum to ask those questions and put the knowledge that they've gained into perspective. So we're committed to doing this, not just for our local patients, uh, which we do with our evening sessions or other eczema school sessions, but we're certainly looking for other ways that we can educate the population. Certainly uh, the website we put up has lots of information that can help families with atopic dermatitis, but uh, we also hope to come up with other ways to educate people, whether it be streaming videos, DVDs, etc. But there needs to be a way to get a family who may be wrestling with this disease for several years to be able to respond to it in a good way so that they can get control of the disease rather than the disease being in control of the family. That's pretty amazing. It sounds like you've created a bricks and mortar center to deal with the problem of the atopic dermatitis patients. Bricks and mortar, to use Dr. Dohill's analogy before. Oh, I want to thank Dr. Lawrence Eichenfield and Dr. Magdalene Dohill from the University of California, San Diego, and Rady Children's Hospital, San Diego. They've been our guests as we've been discussing atopic dermatitis in the pediatric population. I'm Dr. Andrew Krakowski, your host of Scratching the Surface of Eczema. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on eczema, please visit the Eczema Center's website at www.eczemacenter.org. You can also check out the National Eczema Association at www.nationaleczema.org and the American Academy of Dermatology at www.aad.org. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.